بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وصلى الله وسلم وبارك على نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين رب شرح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري وحل العقدة من لساني يفقه قولي اللهم علمنا ما ينفعنا وانفعنا بما علمتنا وزدنا علما In our last session we spoke about the final hajj that Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu anhu made. This hajj that Umar radiallahu anhu made was in the 23rd year of the hijrah. And by this time, Umar radiallahu anhu had been Amirul Mu'mineen. He had been the ruler of the Muslim world for a period of 10 years. 10 years of ruling the ummah, conquering many lands, going through many difficulties. It was a big test for Umar ibn al-Khattab a great responsibility and a great burden upon him. But for those 10 years, he was sincere with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and he was sincere with the people. But those 10 years took a great toll on him. And by this time he had grown weak and he became somewhat advanced in age as well. He was 63 years old by this time and 63 years this was the same age that the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam was when he passed away and it is also the same age that Abu Bakr as-Siddiq was when he passed away they were both 63 years old and now Umar he's also 63 years old so he made Hajj and after completing Hajj he made dua to Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala Allahumma rzuqni ash-shahadata fi sabilik وَجَعَلْ مَوْتِي فِي بَلَدِي رَسُولِكِ He said, Ya Allah, bless me with martyrdom in your way. Let me die as a shaheed and allow my death to be in the city of your messenger, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So he made this dua and he came back to Medina. This is the month of Dhul Hijjah. The 23rd year of the Hijrah, he comes back to Medina. Now one of the rules of Umar ibn al-Khattab was that in the city of Medina, no one who is non-Muslim, who has reached the age of adulthood, can stay in the city. And by this time, the Islamic world, the Muslim world had expanded so much there were so many people who had become slaves during these wars. The Muslims conquered so many lands, Persian lands, and they had many Persian slaves that they had taken as a result of those wars. And the Muslims would bring those slaves back to Medina. So there were a number of Persian slaves in Medina. But the rule of Umar was once they reached the age of, of adolescence, they cannot stay in Medina anymore. And one of his reasonings behind this was that he knew that the Persians, they had a lot of hatred towards the Muslims. Because the Muslims destroyed their kingdom. So they had that grudge in their heart against the Muslims. So Umar radiallahu out of his farsightedness, he felt that if he allowed Persians who had, who had not accepted Islam, even though they were slaves, if he allowed them to stay in the capital of the Muslim world, that perhaps they can make some plots and plans to harm 
the Muslims and to harm the Muslim state. So it was one of the rules of Umar that anyone, once they reach the age of adolescence, once they become adults, if they're not Muslims, if they accept Islam, Alhamdulillah, sure, they can stay in Medina. But if they don't accept Islam, they cannot stay in Medina. Now one of the Persian slaves who was in Medina was a man named Feroz. And he was known by his nickname Abu Lu'lu al-Majusi. His name was actually Feroz, but his kunya, he was known as Abu Lu'lu. Abu Lu'lu was a Persian slave who belonged to one of the companions of the Prophet Al-Mughira ibn Shu'bah And Feroz was very talented. He was a very talented craftsman. He was a very good carpenter. He was a very good iron smith. He could build things. So he was very skilled in this. And he used to practice his trade in Medina. But he was a slave that was owned by Al-Mughira ibn Shu'bah. So Umar radiallahu anhu, his rule is that anyone who's not a Muslim has to leave Medina. Even the slaves, they have to leave Medina. But Al-Mughira ibn Shu'bah asked Umar ibn Khattab radiallahu anhu for special permission to make an exception for Abu Lu'lu. Because he's so skilled in his craft and the Muslims can benefit from him. They can learn these skills from him. And also they can buy the products that he makes. Right? There are not many people who, 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 who know how to make these type of things that he's able to make. So the Muslims can benefit from him. So this is what Al-Mughira ibn Shu'bah asked Umar ibn Khattab. So Umar ibn Khattab radiallahu anhu, he, he agreed. He said, okay, we'll give him an exemption. As long as the Muslims are benefiting from him, then inshallah he can stay. So this was the exception that he made. Now Al-Mughira ibn Shu'bah, as the owner of Abu Lu'lu, he allowed Abu Lu'lu basically to be a free agent. That yeah, you can make whatever you make, you can sell it, you can make money, right? You have permission to do that, but you have to pay me four dirhams per day. You can do whatever you want and you keep all your profits, but you have to give me four dirhams a day. So this was a reasonable amount. and Abu Lu'lu had no problem with this because he was making a lot of money. The things that he used to make, the products that he used to make and sell, he was, he was generating a lot of income with this. So paying four dirhams a day to his master, to Al-Mughira ibn Shu'bah was not difficult for him. So that went on for some time. Then Abu Lu'lu and his craftsmanship became even more widely known in Medina and his business picked up a lot. So he started making more money. One of the things that he specialized in, that he was very good in making, he used to make these grinding mills. These types of devices that you can, you can, you can crush things in. Right? And make spices and make powders, these grinding mills. He was very good in making that. So people used to buy that from him. So he started making a lot of money. So Al-Mughira ibn Shu'bah as his master, he saw that, okay, this guy's making a lot of money. I'm only taking four dirhams a day from him. I can take a little more. It's fair. It's reasonable for me to take a little bit more. So he added, okay, four dirhams a day and also 100 dirhams a month added to that. So for, now it's four dirhams a day and 100 dirhams per month. So Abu Lu'lu, he did not like this. He thought, no, this is too much. This is not fair. Even though compared to the amount that he was making, it, it was really not a big amount. But he didn't like this. So he went to Umar ibn al-Khattab and he complained. And he said, 
Al-Mughira ibn Shu'ba is demanding this much from me. And Umar radiallahu he asked him, okay, what, what do you make? What do you do? How much income do you generate? He asked these questions and he saw that he's making a lot of money. And he felt that the amount that Al-Mughira as his master was asking from him, in return for giving him permission to do this. Remember, Abu Lulu is a slave. He's, he can't even do any of this stuff without the permission of, of Al-Mughira. So the fact that he's able to do this and make this money, this is because Al-Mughira, his master, is allowing him to do it. So Al-Mughira is actually giving him a favor. But Abu Lu'lu didn't see it in this way. So he complained to Umar. After Umar investigated the situation and saw how much he was actually making, he said, no, it's a fair amount actually. It's not unreasonable. It's not unreasonable what Al-Mughira is asking from you. This is fair compared to the amount that you are making. So this is what Umar radiallahu said to Abu Lu'lu. But at the same time, Umar radiallahu he wanted to actually talk to Al-Mughira as well. He had planned to talk to Al-Mughira as well to see if maybe he could make the amount that he takes from him a little bit less. Right? But Fairuz Abu Lu'lu didn't like this. He felt that he was being oppressed by Al-Mughira. Now he felt that Umar radiallahu by taking the side of Al-Mughira was oppressing him as well. Even though there was no oppression at all in this. Actually, they were giving him a favor. Umar gave him a favor, allowing him to stay in Medina. And Al-Mughira gave him a favor by allowing him to openly do his business in Medina. So they were, they were both actually being very kind to him, but he considered himself as oppressed. So Abu Lu'lu, after this meeting with Umar ibn Khattab, he was very upset, very angry. And he said, the whole world has tasted the justice of Umar ibn Khattab except me. I'm the only one that he is not just to. I'm the only one that he is oppressing. So he was very angry. And out of his anger, he decided that he would kill Umar ibn al-Khattab. So he actually made a dagger. Remember, he's a very skilled craftsman. He knows how to make weapons as well. So he made a dagger. A dagger that had two heads. Usually a dagger or a knife, it has like one point at the top. This one actually it had two. And he dipped this dagger in poison. And his intention was to use this dagger to assassinate Umar ibn al-Khattab whenever he gets the opportunity to do so. In the meantime, Umar hearing about the different skills that this man has, the different products that he makes. He heard that Abu Lu'lu had been telling people that he can make a grinding mill that can be operated by the wind. Usually, you know, you have to operate it manually. But he said that I can design one that you don't have to actually operate manually. It can run by itself by the wind. So when Umar radiallahu anh heard this, he thought, okay, this is something good. This is something that can be beneficial for the Muslims. So he along with a number of, of his assistants, they go to Abu Lu'lu and they said, Umar radiallahu anh said to him that uh, we heard that you can make uh, a mill or a grinding mill that is powered by the wind instead of powered manually. Can you do this for us? Can you make one for us? And then Abu Lu'lu, he said, I will make you a mill that the whole world will talk about. So Umar radiallahu anhu, he's very intelligent and very smart. 
He understood what he meant by that. I will make you a grinding mill that the whole world will talk about. For you. So Umar understood this is a threat. That he's threatening me. That he's going to kill me. So Umar he told the people that he was with like, that this man he threatened me what he said it was a veiled threat so then the people with Umar said if he's threatening to kill you let's kill him first and then Umar he said no we can't because this is not something that is that is clear we don't have clear proof this is just my intuition that I think that this was a threat but without clear evidence and clear proof how can we how can we preemptively kill him just because he, he made a statement, an unclear, vague statement like this. So see the justice of Umar He knows that he's being threatened, but still out of his justice, he, he doesn't want to do anything to this man without clear proof or clear evidence. So this was the situation of, of Abu Lu'lu al-Majusi in Medina. He also consulted with Hurmuzan. And if you remember... Some months ago, we spoke about Hurmuzan. Hurmuzan was actually a Persian ruler who had come to Medina earlier and his intention was to kill Umar ibn al-Khattab But he was captured and before he could be killed, he said that I want to become a Muslim. He said, I want to become a Muslim. So he took the Shahada, but it seemed that the only reason why he did it was in order to save himself from being killed. So once he took the shahada, then Umar left him alone. So Fairuz also consulted with Hurmuzan and he showed him the dagger. And he said, what do you think about this dagger? And Hurmuzan said, I don't think that this dagger would touch anyone except that it will kill that person. Anyone who you stab with this dagger will be killed with it. Right? So Hurmuzan, it seems that he was in on the plot as well. So, Feruz, Abu Lu'lu, decided to carry out his sinister plot to assassinate Amirul Mu'mineen Umar ibn al-Khattab one morning when Umar came out to lead the Fajr prayer in Al-Masjid Al-Nabawi, the Masjid of the Prophet He would come every morning to lead the Fajr prayer. And Abu Lu'lu, he knew this. That of course he leads the prayer every morning, so he's going to be there in the morning. So Abu Lu'lu took his dagger and he came into the masjid early. And he positioned himself in a way with the intention that once Umar starts the prayer, people will be focused in their prayer. So that would be his chance to quickly go and stab Umar ibn al-Khattab. This was his intention. So Umar comes to the masjid for the Fajr prayer. Feruz is just waiting for his opportunity. He has his dagger with him hidden. And Umar comes to lead the prayer. The iqama is called, Umar is making sure the lines are straightened, that everyone is standing shoulder to shoulder, all the gaps are filled. He would make sure, in addition to telling the people to straighten their lines, he would say, straighten your lines. And he would actually go. He would actually physically go from side to side and, and check to make sure that all of the gaps were filled. So he did this. And then 
he was ready to lead the prayer. Usually the practice of Umar is that in the Fajr prayer he would make it very long. He would read surahs like Surah Yusuf or Surah An-Nahl completely in the first rak'ah. And he would do this in order to give people a chance to come to the masjid. Even if someone comes late, they can still catch the first rak'ah. So he would make the first rak'ah quite long. So the iqamah is called, he checks the lines and he starts the prayer. He says, Allahu Akbar. The prayer started. Immediately, even before he could start reciting Surah Al-Fatiha, Abu Lu'lu jumps out of his place with his double-edged dagger and he stabs Umar ibn al-Khattab six times with this poison dagger from the shoulder down in different places all the way up to his navel. Six stabs with this double-edged dagger, poisoned dagger. So Umar he's, he's hurt and the people who are in the front the people who are in the first line, they see what happened. So they try to jump on this guy. They try to stop him. They try to capture him. But anyone who comes near him, he stabs them with the dagger as well. And remember, it's a poison dagger. So he was able to stab 13 men from those people. In addition to Umar ibn Khattab, he stabbed 13 more people who tried to stop him. Out of those 13 people, nine of them died. Right? And Umar ibn Khattab stabbed six times, very severely. And the people who tried to stop him, they are also stabbed. So Abdul Rahman ibn Awf radiallahu anhu, also one of the great companions of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, he has very quick thinking. He sees what's going on and he sees that the people who are trying to stop Abu Lu'lu can't stop him and they're getting stabbed as well. So what he decides to do is he takes off his cloak. He's wearing like a mishlah, right? Like a cloak, an outer garment. He takes it off. And he throws it on the face of Abu Lu'lu to cover his face so he can't see. So once his eyes are covered and his face is covered, then like he loses his ability to continue stabbing people. So once he's covered, then the people jump on him. And then he is subdued. Now he can't do anything anymore. So when he realizes he has been captured, what does he do? He turns the dagger on himself and he stabs himself with it. He kills himself. He commits suicide. So this is what Abu Lu'lu al-Majusi did. He stabbed Umar ibn al-Khattab and a number of other people. When he was finally subdued, he stabbed himself, he killed himself. Now in all of this commotion and mayhem, the people, they lifted Umar ibn al-Khattab to take him to his home, to treat him. And Umar he tells Abdul Rahman ibn Awf, you lead the salah. So Abdul Rahman ibn Awf, he leads Salatul Fajr, he makes it very short. And then, they go to the home of Umar ibn Khattab to see what can be done. Can he be treated? And the news comes out in Medina that Amir al-Mu'mineen has been stabbed. And the people of Medina, they're distraught. They're very devastated. They start crying like, is he going to make it? Is he going to survive? So he's taken to his home. And he goes into a state of unconsciousness. So they get worried when he gets unconscious. They're trying to wake him up and he won't wake up. So then one of the people who is there advises them, the way to wake him up, just tell him salah. Tell him salah, that you have to pray salah. That will wake him up. So they said, okay, ya Amir al-Mu'mineen, salah Then he wakes up, salah Did I pray? salah And then he prays his prayer. Even though his blood is gushing out, he makes sure that he prays 
his salah and he says la hadha fil islam liman taraka salah there there is no portion in islam for a person who leaves the salah so he prayed his prayer and then he asked abdullah ibn abbas radiyallahu anhu who was present there he said find out who is the person who stabbed me who did this so abdullah ibn abbas goes out to confirm who it was and they see that it was abu lu'lu al-majusi so he comes back and he tells Umar ibn Khattab it was the slave of Al-Mughira ibn Shu'bah, Abu Lu'lu, Fayruz. And then Umar ibn Khattab said, Alhamdulillah, Alhamdulillah, it was not a Muslim who did this to me. So he's very happy that this was not done to him by a person who worshipped Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the situation is very dire. He's bleeding. The situation is critical. So a doctor is called to see, can, can he be treated? So the doctor orders for some nabith. Nabith, it's a, it's a drink basically made out of dates. You put dates in some water, right? And then the, 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 the juice that comes out of the date into the water, this is called nabith. So give it, let him drink some nabith. He drinks the nabith and they can see it coming out of his, of his wound. The Nabith is coming right out. He's drinking it and it's coming outside. Then some, some milk is brought and they tell him to drink the milk. He drinks the milk, they can see the whiteness coming out. Right there, immediately. So then the doctor says, Ya Amir al-Mu'mineen, this is something that we cannot treat. This is something that is fatal. And he was honest with him. He said, I, I don't think that you will even survive up to the end of the day. So Umar radiallahu anhu, he understood that his time in this dunya was coming to a close. So he wanted to make sure that the affairs of the Muslims are taken care of. And he wanted to make sure that his own personal affairs are also taken care of. He called for his son, Abdullah ibn Umar, and he said, see how much are our debts, how much do we owe the people? So Abdullah ibn Umar came back to him and he said, that your debts you owe 86,000 dirhams. 86,000 dirhams, it seems like a lot. Where did Umar ibn Khattab get such a debt? He calculated in his debt the salary that he used to take from the Baytul Mal as being Amirul Mu'mineen. Even though this is a salary, this is something he has a right to, he counted that as a debt that he has to pay back. Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu, before him, he did the same thing as well. And he considered his salary actually as a loan from the Baytul Mal that he has to pay back. So the total of, of, of all his debts, including the 10 years of service salary that he took for this, the service that he was doing for the Ummah, everything came out to be 86,000 dirhams. So Umar radiallahu an ordered that his property should be sold, sell my property and pay that all back to the Baytul Mal, pay it all off. Look at the, the sincerity of Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu an and the carefulness of Umar ibn al-Khattab so he took care of that. Then he asked his son, Abdullah ibn Umar, also to ask for another personal request. He said, please go to our mother, Ummul Mu'mineen Aisha, and ask her permission and say that Umar, do not say Amirul Mu'mineen because I'm not Amirul Mu'mineen today. Go and say to her that Umar is asking you for permission to be buried 
in the remaining spot next to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam and Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu anhu. And that, that, those graves were actually in the home of Aisha radiallahu anha. Because the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam passed away in the home of Aisha radiallahu anha. And he was buried right there where he passed away. And Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu was buried next to him when he passed away. So there was another space there. And Umar radiallahu anhu asked to take permission to be buried there. He asked his son to take permission from Aisha radiallahu anha to be buried in that spot. So Abdullah ibn Umar, he goes and he approaches our mother, Umm al-Mu'mineen Aisha radiallahu anha. She's also crying because of the situation. And Abdullah ibn Umar says, Umar ibn al-Khattab is asking you for permission to be buried next to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam and Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu anha and Aisha radiallahu anha she says I was saving that place for myself but today I favor Umar ibn al-Khattab over myself so I, I give this space I give this spot to Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu so Abdullah ibn Umar he comes back and he tells his father he says she has given permission she has said that you can be buried in that spot. So Umar radiallahu anhu is very happy with this, that he's going to be buried next to his two closest friends in this dunya, the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam and Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu anhu. These three, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu anhu, and Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu anhu, they were so close while they were alive in this world, and they are so close even after they have passed away. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala have mercy upon all of them. So Umar radiallahu anhu was given this news by his son Abdullah and he was very happy and he was very pleased with this. And he said to Abdullah ibn Umar that after I die and you take me to the spot to be buried, ask her permission again to make sure. At the time of the burial, ask her again, can I be buried there? So they promised him that they would do that after he passes away. Also, he needed to make sure before he leaves this dunya to make sure that the Muslims have a ruler. They cannot be left without a ruler. So he formed a committee of six of the closest companions of the Prophet ﷺ. And he told them, you discuss amongst yourselves and you choose one from amongst yourselves to become the new Khalifa. Who were these six men? These six men were Az-Zubair ibn al-Awwam radiallahu anhu, Talha ibn Ubaidillah radiallahu anhu, Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqqas radiallahu anhu, Abdul Rahman ibn Awf radiallahu anhu, Uthman ibn Affan radiallahu anhu, and Ali ibn Abi Talib radiallahu anhu. These six men, all of them are from those who were given glad tidings by the Prophet ﷺ that they are from the people of Jannah. So Umar radiallahu anhu, he, he gathered these six people and he said, you discuss amongst yourselves and you choose one from amongst yourselves to be the ruler and everyone should accept that one. Everyone should give allegiance to the one who is selected. So he left this affair in the hands of this six-man committee. And Umar radiallahu anhu, he asked his son, to place his head on the dirt. Take the pillow off from my head. Let me just 
keep my head on the dirt. He wanted to be humble before he leaves this dunya. He wanted to be in a state of complete humility before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in this situation. And there were people there around the deathbed of Umar ibn al-Khattab and they tried to give him glad tidings. They tried to cheer him up. They said, Abshir ya Amir al-Mu'mineen. Have glad tidings ya Amir al-Mu'mineen. You were a close companion of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And when he passed away, he was pleased with you. And you were a close companion of Abu Bakr al-Siddiq radiallahu anhu. And when he passed away, he was also pleased with you. And you have ruled the Muslims for so many years and you have ruled them with justice and fairness. So inshallah, this is something that is good for you. So Umar radiallahu anhu, he said, as for my companionship of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, this is a gift that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave to me. As for my closeness with Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu anhu, this is also a great gift that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave me. As for my leadership of the Muslims for these past 10 years, I will be happy if my good during this time is equal to my bad. I will just be happy if I, if I break even. If I come out of it even without any reward, without any ajr, as long as I don't get any punishment for the mistakes that I may have made. If I just break even, I'll be happy. This, look, at the, look at the burden that he felt with this responsibility. Right? This is how he felt during this period of rule. Ten years, such a heavy responsibility and such a heavy burden. And at the end of it, he says, I'll, I'll be happy if I just break even and get out of it. Subhanallah. So Umar radiallahu anhu, he rested with his head on the dirt and he breathed his last breaths and he passed away. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala have mercy upon him and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reward him for all that he did for this ummah. Now, the issue is that someone has to be there to be the new Khalifa, be the new leader of the Muslims. So this six-man committee, they get to work to choose one from amongst them. So Abdul Rahman ibn Awf radiallahu he says that we should, we should make this committee smaller from six people. If three people step down, then it'll be easier to choose between the remaining three. So if, three, if there are three people who are, who are willing and ready, they don't have to, but if they're willing and ready to step down and give their right to the remaining ones, then we can make a decision. So Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqqas and Talha ibn Ubaidillah and Az-Zubair ibn Al-Awam, they said, okay, we step down. And Abdurrahman ibn Auf himself, he said, okay, I also step down and I will choose between Uthman ibn Affan and Ali ibn Abi Talib radiallahu So the final two were Uthman and Ali radiallahu So Abdurrahman ibn Auf, he says to both of them, to Uthman and to Ali, he says that whoever I choose, if I choose Uthman, Ya Ali, will you accept that and will you give allegiance to Uthman? And Ya Uthman, if I choose Ali, Will you accept Ali and give allegiance to Ali? There should not be any type of infighting. Whoever is chosen should be unanimously accepted. 
So both of them agreed. Uthman radiallahu an agreed that yes, whatever decision you make, I accept it. And Ali radiallahu an also agreed that whatever decision you make, I will accept it. So Abdurrahman ibn Auf, he took the hand of Uthman ibn Affan and he said, I give you my bay'ah, I give you my allegiance. And then Ali ibn Abi Talib and the rest of that committee, they did that pledge of allegiance as well. They all gave their allegiance to Uthman ibn Affan radiallahu and he became the third Khalifa of the Muslims radiallahu anhu wa arda. Now the first matter, the first major matter that Uthman ibn Affan radiallahu as the new Amirul Mu'mineen, the first thing that he had to take care of was a situation that arose shortly after the stabbing of Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu One of the sons of Abu Bakr al-Siddiq, Abdul Rahman ibn Abi Bakr radiallahu he mentioned that he saw Firuz before the stabbing of Umar. When they were in, after the stabbing of Umar, they were investigating it. Like, did he work alone? Did he have anyone who partnered with him? Right? So during these discussions, Abdurrahman ibn Abi Bakr, he said, before the stabbing, I saw Firuz along with Hurmuzan and also along with a Christian named Jufaina, the three of them. They were talking. Fairuz, that's Abu Lu'lu, and Hurmuzan, and Jufaina, all three of them were talking. They were talking some secret talk. And I happened to walk in, and when they saw me walk in, they suddenly got startled. And something dropped. A dagger dropped. And I saw, I looked at that dagger. I saw that dagger, and I saw it's a very strange dagger. Type of dagger that I've never seen before that has two, that has two points, two edges. So then, they said, okay, let's look at the, the dagger that was used to stab Umar ibn al-Khattab. Look at it and see, is it the same dagger that you saw on that day that those three people were speaking and having a discussion? So the dagger was brought in front of Abdurrahman ibn Abi Bakr and he said, yeah, that's the same dagger. That's it. So during this talk, during this, this investigation, one of the sons of Umar ibn al-Khattab, he heard this. He heard that, oh, so Abu Lu'lu, he was, he had met with Hurmuzan and, and, and Jufaina. So he assumed that, okay, all, that means all three of them must have been involved. Right? Even though this is not a clear proof that they were involved. Ubaidullah, being very upset at what happened to his father, he heard this and he decided he, he needs to get revenge for his father. So he takes out his sword and he goes searching for them. He finds Hurmuzan and he slaughters Hurmuzan, he kills him. He finds Jufaina, he kills Jufaina. He finds the daughter of Abu Lu'lu al-Majusi. Abu Lu'lu al-Majusi, he committed suicide, he's dead. But he goes to the daughter of Abu Lu'lu al-Majusi and he kills her too. So, you know, he, he goes on this, this vigilante justice spree. And he needs to be stopped. So Amr ibn al-As radiallahu anhu, he's the one who, who was able to stop him. He was the one who was able to take his sword from him, the sword of Ubaidullah ibn Umar, and stop him. You can't do this. You can't take this matter into your own hands. There's a process that needs to be followed before these type of things can be carried out. But he had already killed Hurmuzan, and he had killed Jufaina, and he killed the daughter of Abu Lu'lu al-Majusi. So now Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu anhu, one of the first matters that he has to take care of is what to do with Ubaidullah? What should his punishment be for killing these people? 
without the due process. So, Uthman ibn Affan, he goes to the son of Hurmuzan. The son of Hurmuzan was also there in Medina. And he asks him, do you know if your father was involved in the plot to kill Umar ibn al-Khattab? So, the son of Hurmuzan says, no, he was not involved. That whole situation that occurred was just Abu Lu'lu was a Persian and he knew Hurmuzan. You know, they, they had, you know, uh, an acquaintance with each other in Medina. So he had, uh, Abu Lu'lu had made this dagger and he just was showing it to my father. But my father had nothing to do with it. You know, he, he just happened to see it. But there, there was no involvement that he had in the assassination. That is what the son of Hurmuzan said. Right? And there was really no clear proof that Hurmuzan was involved in the assassination. So the son of Hurmuzan said, I want revenge for my father. The son of Umar, Ubaidullah ibn Umar killed my father. He did not have a right to kill my father. So I want Al-Qisas. I want him to be executed as well. So Uthman ibn Affan tried to convince him, we will pay you the diyah, we will pay you the blood money for your father. But please just, just forgive him. And he said, no. I want a life for a life, blood for blood. So Uthman said, if you insist on this, then this is, this is what you will get. But please just think it over. He said, no, I've made my decision. I want to kill him. So Ubaidullah ibn Umar, the son of Umar ibn al-Khattab, he is brought out you know, in, in shackles, tied up. He is brought out to the son of Hurmuzan. And Hurmuzan takes him. And everyone in Medina follows them. And all of the people of Medina, they had just lost their Khalifa. They had just lost Umar ibn al-Khattab. Now they see that you know, his son is going to be killed by the son of Hurmuzan. They, they, they're very emotional about it. And they're trying to convince the son of Hurmuzan, please forgive him, just forgive him, please forgive him. He said, no, I have a right to kill him. I'm going to kill him. So he takes him out of Medina to perform the execution. And everyone in Medina, even Uthman ibn Affan, like the whole Medina comes out and follows, trying to convince the son of Hurmuzan, please don't do it. But he's adamant that he wants to do it. So he raises his sword. He's about to kill Ubaidullah ibn Umar. And then he asks Uthman ibn Affan, who is the new Amirul Mu'minin, do I have a right to do this? Everyone is telling me, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. But do I have a right to do it? And he says, yes, you have a right to do it. You have a right to do it. We will not stop you from doing it. So then after hearing this, he says, okay, I, I let him go. I forgive him for Allah. I forgive him for Allah. I just wanted to see what your sense of justice really was. If you would stop me or if you would not. And I saw that you were not going to stop me. So I see that you, you really are people of justice. And I admire this. And because of this, I, 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 I let him go. I free him. And I forgive him for the sake of Allah. So his Islam became strong on that day, the son of Hurmuzan. Alhamdulillah. So this was the first major matter that Uthman ibn Affan عن, had to deal with as Amirul Mu'mineen. So it was a very sad period. So it was difficult for them, but the transition had to be made and Uthman ibn Affan عنه, was the next one to take up this responsibility. And with this we end the biography of the great Khalifa Amirul Mu'mineen Umar ibn al-Khattab 
a man who did so much for Islam and so much for the Muslims. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reward him with the best of rewards. Inshallah, next week we will continue with this series and we will start with the biography of the great Khalifa Uthman ibn Affan. رضي الله عنه بإذن الله بارك الله فيكم والله أعلم صلى الله وسلم وبارك على نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين